Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. We're here today. We're doing our best. My cat, when I was on mute, my cat just knocked down everything from the wall behind me, like it fell on the ground. (laughs) That's where I'm at. How are you feeling this week, dear friend? You know, feeling pretty good. Had a super busy Easter weekend. We are in the process of um, training our dog to be mm-hmm. a good dog. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're we're in full dog training mode. And then I think this upcoming weekend, we're maybe, maybe going to try potty training again. So, <gasps> that's you exciting. know, why not do it all at one time? That's my I theory. think that sounds great. I'm turned to bribing my daughter. It's not working. She's gaming the system. She's a st- she's a hard negotiator. I was like, I'll give you one marshmallow if you use the potty. And she's like, make it two. I'm going to have a deal. Such a turd. Anyway, well, mamas, as you know, we have the pleasure on this podcast of sometimes interviewing experts in the field of neonatology and obstetrics and maternal mental health. And other times we have the the wonderful opportunity to interview other NICU moms just like yourselves, hear about their journeys, hear about what makes them special and unique and and have the honor of, of listening and, and hearing about how they process it all. It's truly the biggest gift that we have. Today, we have Allison Wolf here. Hi, Allison. Hello, Ash and Martha. It's so, like, I've been thinking about doing this, and it's just, like, so crazy to talk to you guys and after feeling like I know have known you for so long. I know. I feel like we have known you forever, yes, which is so special to have you on the podcast. But I still remember, like, when Amos was born and yeah. like your very beginning parts of your journey. And now yep. he's like the cutest little, like Martha said, little oh. old man baby in the he best is. way. He so is. cute. He's so so cute. His cheeks and the chin for days. Just like <laughs> everybody, everybody says the cheeks, like his cheeks are just so delicious. They're smoochable. Yep. Every day. Yep. Oh, absolutely. So but yeah, it feels very surreal to have you on the podcast officially. And yeah, we're just sure. so excited to share your story. Very excited. It's been cool, too, to see how you've, um, you know, that entire process of uh, your journey. We've had the pleasure of being able to see how you've processed it and changed. And it's been very cool. I feel like you've gone from, um, you know, the the very, like, kind of vulnerable beginning of the NICU to, like, the super awesome staunch advocate. And you're incredible. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) it's been wild. That's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. On top of, like, all of it happening during the pandemic. How Ugh. fun for you. Awful. Like, <laughs> it's just the worst, basically. Yep. Yep. It's That's terrible. a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. So for those of our listeners who don't have the honor of knowing you like we do, would you give us a little bit of an introduction on who you are? Sure. 
I'm always like, who am I? Do I know myself anymore? <laughs> um, okay, so I, <laughs> um, I'm Allison Wolf, and I just turned 33. I live in Massachusetts, in um, south of Boston, with my husband. He's a firefighter. I have a daughter named Stevie. She just turned four. Um, we have a dog named Oakley. And then we have my son, Amos, who has been, was supposed to be our easy baby, by the way, just throwing that out there. And uh, he has certainly, you know, put us on quite the roller coaster um, in the last couple of years. And yeah, that's me, I guess. I have chickens. And <laughs> I have chickens. I don't know. Yeah. What do I do? I like to sew. Um, yes, you're a fabric artist, I was going to say. I'm, what they I'm call working it, on textile. that. Yes. yes. It's very <laughs> relaxing. So let's start at the beginning then, I guess, as Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music would say. Um, Ashley loves it when I bring in my cinematic references. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, but how did you find out you were pregnant with Amos? So um, we were not trying to get pregnant, but we knew we wanted to have another baby. Um, and it happened to be the last time I went to Walmart for our impending two or three week quarantine, LOL. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I just had a feeling I was like, you know, I think, I feel like I'm supposed to get my period soon, but I'm not having any of my normal symptoms. And I just have this feeling that I might be pregnant. I'm going to get a test this. I don't want to go back to the store. I'm going to get it now. So mm-hmm. like I'm at Walmart. It's crazy. There's no toilet paper. I'm like, just like getting all of the dry goods I need. And I grabbed the pregnancy test and I came home and I took it and I was just like shocked that here I am on, you know, basically the first day of quarantine finding out that I'm pregnant and it was just so wild. It was just like, I was really excited. Um, and yeah, I, I was excited. I was glad that like, we didn't try again. I think that would have been stressful. I don't know. Like it was, I mean, we're fortunate to not really have to try. Um, but yeah, it was found, I found out right around St. Patrick's day, I think sometime around then. Yeah. Seems right. Um, so yeah, it was crazy. Right at the, right at the very beginning in uh, March 2020, which was crazy. And we, I also like again live in Massachusetts, um, so we happen to be one of the places where, in the beginning of the pandemic, cases were very high. Oh, that's um, right. So yeah. yeah, what like one of the like things started somewhere in New Hampshire or something like that. Um, so yeah, there was, it was like a big deal here in the beginning. It was totally wild. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So when you say that Amos was supposed to be your easy baby, had you, yes. with your daughter, was your pregnancy very easy? Like, were you not anticipating um, anything different? No. So with Stevie, I, um, and Later on in the podcast, we'll find out why this is funny. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I actually had cholestasis with Stevie. So it's a liver disease of pregnancy. And um, I didn't find out until like right before my baby shower. Uh, I was super itchy, like uncontrollably itchy. And I was like, what the heck? And I just Googled like, what can I do about being super itchy in pregnancy? And it was like, well, you might just have dry skin or you might have this scary liver disease that is dangerous for you and your baby. 
And I was like, "Mm, I definitely have that because I also don't have a gallbladder. So, um, it like is connected with that. I don't know. I just had a feeling that like, this is, this is my deal. My midwife took me super seriously. She brought me right in. They tested me, but then she's like, I'm going to start treating you right away because I, I'm just going to assume that this is what's happening and we need to start treating you right away. Um, so immediately after that, I started having a non-stress test and an ultrasound every single week. Um, I, you know, it's, it's hard to remember exactly how it all went, but it was very stressful end of my pregnancy. Um, I like took a lot of time off work because I was just like, it was just crazy stressed. Like it was just, it was too much. Um, and then I was induced with her and it took her like four days to be born. (laughs) I was induced mm. early. You have to be induced early with cholestasis. Um, I was induced early, so it took forever. Um, and then, you know, after she was born, I had, like, horrible postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. I hemorrhaged when she was born. I did not have a transfusion, so I basically felt like half of myself for probably about, like, eight weeks afterwards. Um, it was just a really crazy introduction to motherhood. She is also like completely different from me. So like she never took a bottle. She wouldn't. So she was attached to me every three or four hours for over a year. Um, it was just, you know, and she was a really difficult sleeper. Like she's very, she, I mean, and for people that follow me, I'm going to say like, I'm famous, but I'm not famous, but like, you know, Stevie's, if you, if you see my daughter, like she's, she is a wild child and she was, and she's a baby too. So I felt like, okay, I'm going to have this baby and like, he's going to, I'm going to have like an easier like birth experience. And that's all I want. All I want is to just not have cholestasis. Um, you know, and then hopefully he'll like sleep better and things like that because it was the sleep. Like I laugh about it now, but it was horrible. It was like a really difficult time. Like it was, it was, torture basically and it was you know it's hard because in this world there's a lot of different opinions on things and there's a lot of guilt around sleep about what you're supposed to do about it and all that so I just wanted to have an easier time with this baby and then we found out it was a boy and that was really exciting for us you know to have a son and a daughter and um you know we started thinking about names and all that um And yeah, but at the same time, like Stevie and I, Stevie was two. So, and like I said, like she and I were always attached. Like I had only ever been away from her once for maybe two days before everything happened with Amos. So, you know, like my life was just totally focused on Stevie. I felt like, you know, I didn't really even have time to connect with my pregnancy before things um, went wrong. Uh, because it was just, you know, it's hard when, when you're having your second kid, like you're so it's, it's not the same being pregnant the second time around. Like you don't get any rest. It's just, you know, and you're busy with your child. And then of course we're like in a pandemic too. So I'm like constantly like trying to entertain her. And I was really sick in the beginning. Um, and it was getting to the time where like, I would start asking about being tested for cholestasis again, because usually you're not diagnosed until later in your pregnancy. So I had my 20 week scan and it went fine. 
So up until um, your 20-week ultrasound then, there was really no, you know, high-risk pregnancy factors or anything that would ever make you think that you would maybe be in the NICU with Amos. No, not at all. Wow. Nothing. So when you got to that 20-week ultrasound and they tested for coleostasis, that came clear. Never tested for it. anything else? I didn't didn't even get that far. I never got far enough. So I'm jumping ahead. So let's oh, go good. back. Yeah, so right. you found out that he was a boy. Yes. And then what? And then, you know, like it was the summer. Yeah, it was summer. So we're trying. I wanted this to be, you know, because like Stevie and I were, again, so attached. So I wanted to have this like amazing summer with her before I brought another child into our home before she wasn't the only one anymore so I wanted to have like beach days and pool days and like do all these fun things so we got to do a couple of those (laughs) a couple of times Mm -hmm. and um it was really sweet and um yeah I was super sick but you know I wasn't I just I had just started to feel big I remember posting like oh like my belly's like getting bigger quicker this time around and then um at 22 weeks and six days uh my husband's a firefighter so he works 24-hour shifts so stevie and i were home alone um the night before and i didn't sleep very well we were having a slow morning um i woke up went downstairs i think we read books or something um and uh I let the dog out and then I went and Stevie was in the breezeway and I opened the door and I just remember walking over the threshold and feeling like a big gush and it was Mm. weird and I was like that was weird I mean I'm like one of those people who like at least I used to be very interested in knowing about birth and like women's health and all that kind of stuff so it's like you know like I know that there can be a lot of discharge and whatever in pregnancy so I wasn't too worried about it but then I went to the bathroom and before I'm sorry to be like too graphic but before I even peed more water came out uh like it was involuntary and I said okay like this is weird I I you know Mm -hmm. so I called um I called my midwife's office uh we're at the hospital where I was supposed to deliver they have midwives and OBs and you can kind of choose who you want to work with and then obviously you know you if you need to work with the OBs you can you work with them but I really um enjoyed working with the mid the midwives with Stevie so you know I was working with them and they said okay um put a pad on we'll call you in an hour if it's soaked you need to come in um so I'm home alone with Stevie. Mm-hmm. I need to make her breakfast. I need to, I don't even remember what I made her, her for breakfast. I needed to like do stuff and I put a pad on and I remember I made her breakfast, I think, and I just laid on the couch or something and I was just trying to calm down and nothing happened, but then I stood up and more came out. And at that point I knew that it was, uh, something was happening um around then my husband came home and I didn't even really know what to say to him I just you know I think I told him like I don't know what's going on but maybe my water broke and he was confused and we were both he's like oh uh what do you want me to do like do you you know so then I went and laid I got changed because I was like okay 
I think we're going to have to go. So I got changed. I went upstairs. I laid down again. I stood up again and more came out. So I was like, all right, I'm not even waiting for them to call me. We're just going to start driving to the hospital. So we all got in the car and it was the morning again, like just, you know, crazy. So I called on my way and I, I let them know that I was on my way in and they said, that's okay. This is what you need to do. That's the right choice. And we're just, you know, my husband and I were just sobbing like, we're both so scared. CB was so little. She didn't know what was going on. And I tried to explain to her, like, you know, I, mommy is scared. Like mommy and daddy are scared. You know, we don't really know what's going on, but, um, you know, and it's COVID. So we got to the hospital. I had to walk into the hospital by myself. Um, I, you know, I remember just, I was just sobbing the whole time. I just walked up to, the floor up to the unit and I rang the bell and like the person who answered the door was like, are you having a baby? And I was like, just, I don't know. <laughs> I was crying and, and they knew I was coming though. So they got me in a room and, um, at first there was like a little bit of hope because they didn't see ferning when they like looked at the, like under a microscope of the water um, and I guess that's part of like how, you know, um, you know, it's whether or not it's amniotic fluid. <clears throat> so I was like, like, okay, like maybe it's not, I text my husband. I said, well, I'll find out soon. We had also called my parents on the way and I, you know, I was just crying like, mom, I don't know what's going on, but maybe my water broke. My parents were getting ready to have a yard sale and then move. They lived in New York at the time and they didn't even wait for me. They just packed up all of their stuff and drove up to be able to take care of CB. Mm. Um, Cameron had t- taken her to uh, be with my mother-in-law for a little bit before my parents got there. So um, then the, the midwife left and when she didn't come back in and the doctor came back in with the nurse, I knew that something was wrong. And I'll just never forget her telling me, you know, I'm sorry, but it is your water. And I just will never forget the way that I cried. I just, you know, I just, it was like, this like guttural, like whale. I was so afraid, so sad, so scared. And then of course you're like, now everything is different. Like what is happening? Like, what does this mean? And, and I was 22 weeks and six days. So that is a very <sighs> precarious time to, have your water break. So I remember, you know, we were down here, south of Boston, um, and that hospital, um, their NICU is, I think they take like 35 weekers or something. It's like one of the like lower level NICUs. Um, so they're like, start telling me all these things like, okay, like if you have your baby today, like this is what they'll do, which is probably nothing. And you know, whatever. And like, you can't, I don't even remember why they said I had the option to go home, but they, I had like this option to go home or to take an ambulance into the city or we could drive. And it wasn't their recommendation to drive, but, um, we could. And I was like, I do not want to get in in an ambulance. I don't want to do that. I can't, I, you know, and finally they had let, they said they, you know, they let Cameron in. So he was there with me. Oh my God. I was just going to ask where after, after we knew, after we knew that that's what it was, it's like your husband can come. So, um, he came 
and we're just getting thrown all this information, we decided to drive into the city. And it was July 31st, so it's just like a hot day, and we drove all the way into the city, and we like parked in the wrong part of the garage of the hospital and had to like walk through the entire hospital to get to the antepartum floor. Um, you know, it was just crazy. And then like, we went up to like triage and I was just like on this like cold metal bed, just laying there and just crying the entire time. But just say like, we were just crying the whole time. Like just that my face just hurt so badly from crying. Um, and they checked me so many times just to make sure that that's what it was. And then, you know, we're waiting and waiting and then I had an IV placed and, um, you know, and then we're like trying to understand like, what is going on? What does this mean? Whatever. Um, and then a doctor came in who was just, I never met him again. I don't think, but he was just a super kind guy. He was, he asked my permission before he did anything. He was very just, um, gentle and kind with everything that he said. And, you know, they, they showed me that sheet of like, you know, like this is a gestational age and these are our options. And he just said like, these are our options. Like they're there. This is, you know, we, when they're this age, like these are things that are like maybe recommended, but they're more recommended if they're older and all this stuff. And like, we needed to do all these things. Like we, you know, we needed to, um, start the dexamethasone. Like we needed to like, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, well now you live here (laughs) until you have a baby. So, you know, again, I had only ever been away from Stevie for two days before this. And now Mm -hmm. I am gone. You know, I was crying, went to the hospital. Now, now I'm not there anymore. And thank God my parents came up because they had just been there earlier in the summer. And my mom has such a great relationship with Stevie. She's so good with Stevie. She just became me and took Mm -hmm. such, such good care of her, um, which was huge. But it was like, it was just the worst, one of the worst parts of being inpatient before Amos was born was just not being able to be with her. Um, Mm -hmm. So we finally made it to the floor. had a a bed there and thank goodness at the time like they were so good they were like your husband can stay he can stay here with mm-hmm. you you know he can stay over so nobody ever asked him to leave we never asked any more questions he just stayed with me um so yeah we made it to the floor and um it was just like I don't even know how to describe what it was like. I was just so sad and scared. And my, I, again, like my head, I remember I had a headache for like four days, I think, cause I just would cry that much to where, like, I never thought that many tears could come out <laughs> in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and for Cameron too, and just to see my husband so scared as well, it was just a lot. It was, um, mm-hmm pretty wild yeah mm-hmm. and how many days were you in antepartum were you waiting so um I was there for two weeks mm-hmm. um it's a long and, time and yeah it and also a not long a long time. time 
Yes. It was also a long time and not a long time. It was very strange. It was like this super weird feeling of like, I want to be here as long as possible. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I can't imagine being stuck in You're this right. room as long as possible. Like, I was for like months, only yeah, three or four months. weeks. Like, this, you know, this, we want him to grow as much as possible. But I don't want to be stuck here and be away from Stevie for this long. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, what is... It was, like, this weird, like, feeling, like, just conflicting feelings that, you know, I felt so guilty about and, like, wanting to be home. And then I was just, like, scared and I was, like, you know, just having all these feelings. Like, I never, I didn't even have any chance to connect with Amos yet. We didn't even have his name picked out. And I was, like, why, you know, why did I get pregnant, like, why is all this happening? I wish I just had never gotten pregnant. Like, and Mm -hmm. I could just be home and none of this would be happening and nobody would be, you know, in this, in this situation. And, um, yeah. So, and then, you know, like every day we're just, we're like in like captivity, basically. We're like, everyone's like super nice, but like we couldn't, we couldn't go anywhere. I could eventually see Stevie outside for like an hour in the courtyard. Um, and I did that a couple times and it was just super weird. Like she, she was so little, she didn't understand what was going on. Mm. It was, but it was good for me to see her and to touch her and just know that she was okay. Um, I, uh, and for the other mothers who have been in the antepartum floor, um, and had to have heparin injections. So I had a heparin injection twice a day in the back of my arms. I like counted the days I had been there by my bruises on the back of my arms from yeah. the heparin injections, um, blood thinner. Yeah. And, you know, and then we had so many conversations with neonatologists and the maternal, maternal fetal medicine. I had a couple ultrasounds. Like I had no fluid. There was no fluid anymore. Mm. Um, he was just like making his own keeping a little bit in there and then it would just hang out and that was it. Um, Mm. Something I didn't mention though, is that I have a friend who went through this exact experience at the Mm. exact same hospital, almost exactly a year earlier than me. Wow. Um, A cousin of one of my best friends. And it was just the craziest thing. Uh, you know, I remember seeing the picture of her daughter when she was born and being like, I can't imagine having a baby that mm. small. I can't mm. imagine what she's going through. And then there I was going through the exact same thing. She she and I had the almost identical experience. Um, and she sent me flowers to the hospital and there were sunflowers. And it was just, I still have my little note from them. And it's still a big, a big reason why I, I really, I connect just like, the sun and sunflowers with Amos um, was a big, that was a big part of that. No, it was, it was a weird time, but like at the same time, like my husband and I got to be alone together, which was kind of nice. We, Mm -hmm. people just supported us like so well, sending us so many like DoorDash gift cards. And so we got takeout and we like, we tried to make the best of it of being there. You know, I had sign up on the wall that was like, stay pregnant and you know, whatever, like I listened to audiobooks and, and everything was going fine until then all of a sudden, like, like, okay, now I was in labor, um, which was, it, it, nothing indicated it. Like it, it didn't, it didn't, it was really weird how that happened. Like it was 
nothing was happening. And then I started to kind of like feel some contractions and then they put me on the monitor and, um, and yeah, I was actually in labor now. So that, and that was right, um, at 24 and six then that the night before I was 25 weeks was when I started to go into labor in the middle of the night. I would, like, or maybe it was actually 25 weeks. It was probably right around 4 a.m. actually that that started happening. So, And what did the nurses, were you having contractions? How did you know you were in labor? So I um, had gotten up to go to the bathroom and I noticed that there was a little bit of pink in the toilet. And that was like fairly typical for, you know, having PPROM. Um, but it was like a little bit more than usual. So I noted it and like, I don't, I'm one of those people like, I don't want to bother anyone. So I didn't want to like call the nurse, <laughs> but, um, I was like, I called her. I was like, Hey, like, just so you know, like I saw this, she's like, okay, uh, let's put you on the monitor. I think it would be better safe than sorry. And I actually wasn't feeling contractions at that point, but I was having them. Um, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, like, you know, they, they gave me fluids to try and slow them down. Nothing slowed them down. They just got like more, a little bit more painful. Um, you know, nothing, nothing was working. They had, they checked me like so many times, just like so awful to make sure. And I wasn't, I wasn't dilated at all or anything like that. Um, but then around 8am when the contractions weren't slowing at all, and even though I wasn't dilated, they were like, okay, we're going to take you up to L and D because we want to be there. Um, just in case this is the day that he comes, it might not be, you might come back down here. We'll, we'll do magnesium and we'll go, we'll go upstairs. We'll do a bowl of some mag and we'll see what happens. So went upstairs, um, started the magnesium bolus and thank God the nurse who started it said beforehand, like, Hey, you can keep your mask on, but if I were you, I would take it off because this is going to be truly terrible. That's exactly what she said. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm so glad that she did because it was truly terrible. And I'm sure many people listening, maybe you guys know that feeling of being injected Mm -hmm. with lava and feeling it coming out (laughs) of every part of your body. And it was just like awful. So from then, from that point, everything happened very quickly. So I felt like I was on fire. Uh, Cameron was there like putting like cold washcloths on me and I was like freaking out. And um, the contractions were still happening. And anesthesiology had come in to get my consent just in case uh, for me to go under general anesthesia, which was very scary. And they, um, you know, had, were talking to me about it. And like, they literally left the door. My doctor came in. She said, okay, I'm going to check you and um, just see, you know, if you're dilated at all or anything. And so I put my feet in the stirrups. She checked me. And I just, there are so many moments, and I'll say this probably again, but like there are so many moments, I'm sure you guys have these two, where this, you can picture exactly how it was, exactly that moment, everything about it. I will never forget the way she looked and she looked at the nurse and then like took a breath and was like, okay, there is a foot in the vagina. (gasps) Oh my God. A foot? Yes. That's what she said. And she looked at me and Cameron and I looked at each other and thank goodness. I mean, 
you know, all this is like, oh, it's so lucky. I had been there for two weeks. They had gone over all of these things with me. Like, I don't know, maybe some other moms who have had this experience, they give you this speech of like, if you feel the cord coming out, because um, Amos's cord was over my cervix, which was like so nerve wracking. They're like, if you feel it coming out, you like get on all fours, put your butt up in the air. Somebody will come in the room and I'm sorry to be like super graphic, but they're going to shove their hand inside you. And then we're going to get you up on a bed and then take you up to the OR. And like, I was so afraid of that happening. (laughs) And, uh, so, but I knew that that's what was going to happen. So she said, there's a foot in the vagina. And my, my husband and I looked at each other and she said, okay, your baby's coming today. And then she looked at me, she's like, I'm sorry, but I have to stabilize this foot. <laughs> and uh, there is nothing like being on a bolus of magnesium, having about 10,000 people come in the room and getting you ready for surgery and having a doctor shove what feels like her entire arm up your vagina to hold on to your baby's foot while you're also contracting, by the way. So that was probably mm. the most painful moment of my life. Um it was just, it felt like forever. So they now also have to wheel me into the OR. So they they see his, she sees his foot, she stabilizes it. I'm screaming. Like it was, it was the, the worst pain. Contracting on top of that was awful. The trip over to the OR and like now the, you know, the NICU team is there as well. They bring me into the OR um, and thankfully Amos's heart rate was good the whole time. They had enough time to not put me under general. So I just had a, you know, a spinal block or whatever it's called. Um, I was able to be awake. So, um, you know, they brought me in and I remember just, and her hand is still inside me, by the way, the entire time, like it did not move. She, she was up on the gurney with me, rode into, rode into the OR with me. And mm. it was just crazy. Um, so I, I remember just trying to stay as still as possible so that they could do the spinal block. Um, and and I could now not feel anything anymore because I just wanted that so badly because it was so painful. So I did my best. And they got me onto the operating table. And Cameron, Cameron was getting ready um, to come in. And... And he came and it was just, you know, for me, Amos's birth experience is actually a part of my story that does not feel traumatic to me. Even though all of it was so hmm. wild, I was very well prepared and I felt, um, I felt very safe, uh, mm-hmm. which is weird. Yeah. But like, I remember you know, who knows if it was like the drugs or what, but I was just like laying there and it's just had tears just streaming down my face. And I was just so glad that I was safe, that all of these people in this room were here to take care of me, to take care of Amos, that it was going to be okay because I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I like now, you know, my body was no longer safe for him, which is right you know, it is what it is. Like I wanted him to stay inside, but at the same time, like it wasn't safe for him anymore. Like, you know, and now he would be safe, even though he was so early and he waited, he waited two weeks, um, which was more than I could have asked for. Um, Mm -hmm. we, 
I have that. I have this like, so my daughter was obsessed with the very hungry caterpillar and there's a part in the book where it says he stayed inside for more than two weeks. And then, you know, he came out and became a beautiful butterfly. And that just played mm. over and over in my mind, waiting for Amos to be born. And I remember just yeah. thinking like he stayed inside for just more than two weeks. And, you know, That's so and it was, and I just felt like just so I was excited for him to be born. I was excited for him to be in the hands of people who could keep him safe. That's how it felt for me. Um, and, you know, even though like all these crazy things are happening, like I can like sort of feel like tugging at my abdomen and, you know, we didn't hear him cry or anything when he came out, but we did hear, um, and I'm sure that his, some of his nurses will listen to this, but I did hear, um, one of the nurses say, Oh my gosh, he's so cute. When he came out, they, they were just like, he's so cute. Oh, and, that's um, so special. Yeah, it was really, it was really special. And, you know, he was immediately intubated um, and wrapped in plastic and then wrapped in a, in a blanket and had his hat on and they brought him over to me and all I could Mm -hmm. see was his little face, but it looked like just a miniature baby face. Like I expected him to look much scarier than that. And he just looked like a little mini like full-term baby and he was kind of like opening one eye like this at me Mm. and behind his little (laughs) tube and I just thought he was just so cute and I'm still just crying like happy tears like it was just crazy I was just so Mm. glad in this weird way for my pregnancy to be over because it had become such a scary thing every day was scary of what's gonna happen you know um and that he was here that he was safe that, um, you know, we were prepared, all of that, that he had stayed long enough. And then they took him down to the NICU and my husband went with him. And I just stayed there on the operating table, still crying, still so thankful. Just, it was just, it was really beautiful. Like with all of the things that have happened with Amos, like his, his birth story is not something that is traumatic for me. It's actually a, it's a happy memory for me and all of that. Um, and then I will remember my husband came back and he just held up one of the diapers yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I just laughed and I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> <Yeah>. life. <laughs> I couldn't believe how small he was and he like showed me some pictures. Pad. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is that? Um, Panty liner. Yeah. yeah it's so just true. the tiniest thing. So I think that's so interesting that yeah. you bring that up because. We've now had the honor of hearing, you know, hundreds of birth stories and and it's important to recognize that two moms could have nearly identical medical situations and have completely different perspectives on what mm-hmm. the, it felt like for them in the moment. Right. What feels like safety to some doesn't feel like safety to others. And right. so I think it's so important that you share that and you're, you know, it's a really wise thing for you to um, acknowledge because... Um, that's it. There's someone else listening who's going to, it's going to be hearing that for the first time and think that's exactly how I felt, you know? Right. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. It was Mm -hmm. a, it was a crazy day. Like, you know, it was a happy day and you know, I, I wheel, got wheeled into, I don't know, whatever, like the recovery room. I started pumping right away. Like, um, and you know, I was like, felt super sick from, um, the, 
all the anesthesia and stuff like that. Um, but I was just so, you know, we, we called my parents and they were like freaking out. Like we had been so worried all day. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, we, but we were just so happy that he was there, that he was here and he was okay. And he was where he was going to be taken care of. Cause we knew that he was going to be in the NICU. We didn't know when, um, we didn't know, you know, how, what, how big he would be. And he's actually pretty big for a 25 weeker. He was one pound, 13 ounces. And everybody said like, are you sure he's 25 weeks? I'm like, I don't know. You're like, I don't know what week it is. Stop yeah. asking me questions. <laughs> right. Um, and then, uh, they wheeled us in to see him. And I remember, you know, he was just so tiny and so cute in his little isolate. And um, the nurse that was there uh, ended up being, she actually wasn't one of his primary nurses, but she was like an honorary primary nurse who just like refused <laughs> to not be a part of Amos's team. Um, <laughs> and she has just become a really special part of our lives. And so it was really special. She was there when he was born and she was there, you know, um, when he went into the NICU and all that. So, and then, you know, we went back to the room and to rest and pump. And we felt like, you know, is this just because we're second time parents? Like, shouldn't we just be there the whole time? But like, we needed sleep. We knew we needed some rest mm -hmm. after everything that had happened. And we didn't feel bad about it. You know, we were just like, all right, like, he's okay. We're okay. Like, let's, let's start doing this next thing. Um, you know, yeah. move on to the next part. So you had the, um, you met him in the NICU, you guys rested, and then you guys embarked on your NICU journey officially. So, yeah. you know, what were some of his triumphs and setbacks and some of the unique parts of his stay that made it special? So, you know, in the beginning, uh, it was, it's just so crazy to be thrown into this world. Like we, mm -hmm. we, he was like hooked up to all these things. He was on um, Hi-Fi for a long time. So he was on the oscillating vent. And I listened to Sarah's podcast from last week, just how she described how they shake when they're on the oscillator. And it's like super weird to see that. And it's so loud and it's this like huge rigid machine. So he was on the oscillator, but he was doing pretty well for, I don't know. I can't remember when everything started. So like three, he was doing great. And then all of a sudden he, there were like three different things all at once that were big that happened. And it would just felt like, whoa, like we are really being thrown into this. Um, cause everything felt like, okay, we're kind of getting into a routine. Like, and of course I'm also, you know, recovering from C-section, mm -hmm. um, and we're traveling back and forth, you know, have to drive into the hospital. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm pumping all the time. So it was just crazy. So right around a week, I think maybe a little bit before a week, there were three different things. So his PDA wouldn't close, um, in his heart and they were treating it with Tylenol and we were like 100% prepared to have a conversation about him needing surgery to close it. Um, he, his newborn screen tests kept coming back positive for some something called skid, which is like super scary. I can't even remember what it means anymore, but it's like, you need like a bone marrow transplant to, it's like, I don't know, whatever. It was like a huge deal, but everyone kept saying like, these tests aren't made for preemies. Like they're, they're 
the likelihood that this is a false positive is very high. But we need we need a, a negative test. Um, so I think it came back positive twice, which was just terrifying. Mm. And then we were um, I was home, and I got a call from the NICU, and I just answered it. You know, okay, you know, whatever. And I didn't even think about anything about it. And then the doctor was on the line um, telling me that in Amos's first brain scan, there was nothing, no hemorrhage, nothing. And then his second ultrasound, he they saw grades two and three bilateral IVH. So um, that was like one of the most hugely devastating days because everything was quote unquote normal for what was going on. He was doing fairly well. And now we're dealing with these three things. And the biggest of all was um, the bleeding in his brain that we didn't know about before. And now it was there. And we were just so terrified. So it was a Friday. They were going to redo the scan on Monday. And everybody kept, you know, trying to tell me, like, try not to think about it until then. Like, we'll see what happens then. And the thing about brain bleeds is that you don't know anything about them until you can't know anything about them until they're older. You won't know how it will affect them or not. So it just became this huge question mark of like, whoa, like what is going to happen? Like, you know, it was, it was really scary. We were, we were really scared and we tried so hard over the weekend to um, just be positive and, you know, we're still trying to be there for Stevie as much as we could. She was still so little. We're trying to play with her and, you know, have things be kind of normal for her, but we were both really scared. Um, and then on Monday, or yeah, must have been one of those, Monday, he had his an- another scan, and it showed that the bleeds were resolving, which was so reassuring. And then all at once, <laughs> we, like, what the doctor came in was like, oh, um, we, got a, we got a negative result on his newborn screen. Like, oh, great, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And then I was like, okay, like, do we need to talk about his PDA? They're like, oh, yeah, that closed. What? <laughs> Nobody said anything to me about that. Like, it was just a huge like relief. Um, and we went and like got dessert at a place nearby, like outside on the patio, just to celebrate because we were just. It was just so overwhelming all at once, and then just a big relief. Um, and then it must have been sometime. I can't remember exactly when, but we went from those things being a worry to there's, I felt like with Amos, there was always something else that kept coming up and, and that's how it still feels. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, then they were like, yeah, so we are monitoring Amos's belly. We're a little concerned about his belly. So what they were concerned about was Nick. He was, he had, some abnormal gas patterns in his bowel. They took him off feeds. They put him on antibiotics. I didn't really understand, you know, how serious it was. Um, I would there because like you know, different doctors will say things different ways, you know, and people will explain things to you in different ways. And mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person who like I like, and I know this about myself now. I like to be talked to like I am another doctor. Like I want to have everything explained to me like in detail 
I don't want things to be glossed over. I want to know exactly what's going on because then I feel more afraid if I don't understand, which actually isn't the way I wanted things to be in the beginning. I actually said to one of the nurses, like, just tell me if like things are normal or not. And if he's okay, because I was like, whoa, I can't do this. But then that became very clear to me that like, "Mm, no, actually, I want to know everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And then one night we came in um, to see him and hold him and um, hit one of his primary nurses who I I hadn't met before was there. And he's just like, so great. Um, I just love this primary nurse so much. He just was always so good at, at explaining things to us. And he was like, hey, like, has anybody showed you the ultrasounds and really explained to you what's going on? And we're like, no. And he, you know, sat us down and showed us the pictures of the ultrasounds and explained exactly what everything meant. And this is what it looks like now. This is what we want it to look like. It looked like this yesterday. It looks a little bit better today. You know, we just need it to keep getting better before we can start feeding him again. So Amos essentially did have neck I think they call it like he had medical neck so his bowel never perforated but he did have neck I don't know exactly how to explain that but like it was it was he never needed surgery or anything like that but he was like on the edge of it um and yeah it was a really big deal um but thankfully it just got better uh The other thing is, so he was on hi-fi for a while, and the day that I held him, he was just over a week old, um, they had tried to move him to CPAP, I think. They tried to move him straight to CPAP, and he did okay overnight, and then he did very much not okay the next day. Um, I remember coming in. And they had made the decision to reintubate him while I was there. And they were like, do you guys want to be in the room for this? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. You know, whatever. Like, I, I, I can handle that. I don't know why I felt like, okay, fine. Um, and I think I, I look back now and I see how oblivious I was. And I know it's like a protection thing, right? Like, I was just, I just saw my baby and that he was okay. He was being taken care of. And I... I wasn't like fully aware of how sick he was or how bad things were. Um, so when they reintubated him, I remember taking a picture of him because I thought he looked really cute. He was laying there and he was just like exhausted. Um, and his tube kind of like curled his lip up a little bit. It kind of made him look like he was smiling. And I thought he looked really cute. When I look at that picture today, it's, traumatizing. He is gray. He looks worn out. Um, and one of his nurses actually wrote a paper about that day, about that experience with Amos, um, and how they helped him after that, having to go back onto hi-fi. So, um, he didn't just go back onto conventional. He went all the way back onto the oscillator. Um, so, which was, really disappointing because a lot of hospitals won't even let you hold while they're on hi-fi because the tubing is very rigid and it needs to be like everything needs to be like very still um 
but I remember one of the nurse practitioners, and so I was really discouraged because I had just gotten to hold him, and I was looking forward to holding him more because they had, they did put him onto conventional, and that was how I got to hold him, right? And then he went back to high five. So it was like, great. Like, we're just back to the beginning. You know, it was like two steps forward, five steps back. Um, but one of the nurse practitioners sat down and said, like, listen, don't let him being on high five keep you from holding him. We can do it. It's not that big of a deal. It just takes more people. And I was like, okay, because I don't want to be a bother, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to bother people. I don't want to inconvenience people. You know, everybody's busy, but I wanted to hold him. So we came in every day and we held him while he was on high five. And it was like this whole production where like six people would come in and they would lift him out of the isolate straight up. And then put me in this crazy chair and put me straight underneath and then lower him down onto me so that like he didn't really move at all. But I got to hold him and my husband got to hold him for the first time during that time. Mm -hmm. And it was just really special that we did that. Um, And Mm -hmm. we did it. That was while all this stuff was happening with neck too. And I think, you know, in my mind, it feels like that's part of the reason why he was able to get better was because he got Mm -hmm. so much skin to skin. Um, in that time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, it was just crazy. Like, you know, all these things where you can't do so many things. There are so many things you just can't do. You can't pick them up. You can't hold them. You can't touch them. Like the first time I held Amos, we were in the room alone, uh, with him and I put music on my phone because I wanted to play a song for him. And the nurse came running in the room was like, you got to shut that off. Like, I know you want to listen to music, but he's too small. It's too overwhelming for him. It's like way sensory wise. Like it's, it's, it can be traumatizing to them. Like everything needs to be really quiet. And I was like, whoops, (laughs) you know, like I wanted to know what were the right things to do for him. And of course, when you're first, I was first holding him, he was so small that I had to look at him with a mirror. I couldn't look down and see him because his head was mm-hmm. so tiny against my chest. I couldn't even couldn't even kiss his head. I remember I was just reading through. Um, I journaled as much as I could. And I remember journaling about the first day that I could bend my head down and kiss the top of his head, which was really special mm-hmm. for me. Um, you know, but I had to look at him with a mirror and like be super still. And But I just loved that time of being able to hold him mm-hmm. when he was so small and having him tucked in my shirt was just like the best feeling. And you think your baby is small. You think you know how small they are until they're flying through the air to you. Yes. And then you see yeah. how small they are. And you're, and like, you're like, oh my Whoa, gosh, you are yeah. small. Wow. And the nurses like, hold them with wild. such confidence. They could right. like, they could just hold like, them with like two fingers and they're like, it's fine. I do this all day. <laughs> oh my gosh. That I remember it's the wild. first time he flew th- through the air to me and I was like, wow, he is actually like really small. <laughs> yeah, so so tiny. So, as as we're listening here, it's prevalent that there are so many different aspects to your journey, Allison, and we I feel like we've only just begun. Like yeah. I truly feel like there is so much more to come. And so we are gonna make this episode two parts. It could honestly be like five parts. I, I feel know, like probably. but <laughs> we're gonna do two parts. Um, because we don't wanna rush over mm-hmm. some of the parts that are to come, which involves a medical complexity and a whole nother you not only became a NICU mama, but you became a medically complex mama. Yeah. And so um we're gonna kind of split this episode into two parts but 
you know, how we'd like to kind of close this episode is just talking a little bit about managing the time at the hospital with Amos and then also with your daughter. Um, you mentioned prior that you and Stevie were really close. You hadn't had a lot of time apart. And so I'm sure that transition was really difficult for the both of you. And so, you know, maybe as a closing thought, you know, how did you really split that time and, and make it special for both of your kiddos? So it was, you know, it's like, it was really difficult. Um, I remember the day we left when I was discharged. It was this weird feeling of being so excited to finally be home with Stevie again. And also so sad to leave Amos. It's like all these dueling emotions. And you never, when you have a kid or kids at home and a baby in the NICU, you just, I, I finally just had to accept that I would never do enough. I mean, I, I was doing enough, but it would never be as much as I wanted it to be. I would never mm -hmm. be able to do, to give everyone myself fully. And I became okay with that. Um, one thing, you know, like I know a lot of times Nikki moms say like, how often are you at the NICU? Like I'm, I'm there all the time. Like I feel so guilty for taking a day off. You know, I didn't feel that way um, because I kind of, felt like Stevie needed me so much. Um, and in a lot of ways, especially in the beginning, she needed me more than Amos did. And it changed as he got bigger and was able to do more. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, like my mom was a huge part of this and of everything mm -hmm. of the rest of our story as well. Um, my mom really, and my dad, they came, my mom dropped her entire life to come and take care of Stevie. Um, and so, we were so lucky to have that support, to know that she was with someone who loved her, who was safe, who was family. And um, she really got to develop this amazing bond with my mom through this experience, which is a silver lining. Um, because I do, you know, I'm pretty open about talking about, it's really hard for me to know how much I missed out on with Stevie through all of this. Um, there are a lot of things that I just, days, moments, I just won't get back. I pretty much missed her entire like year between two and three. You know, I had, I did my best to be there for her and to do things with her. And, you know, we, we, we had days where like my husband would go in the NICU, go to the NICU and I would stay home. There were a couple times where I think I stayed home for like two days at a time because I just needed a break. I was pumping so much, like I needed to take care of Stevie um, and I just needed that time with her. I really needed it for my mm -hmm. soul, you know, um, right around when I got cleared to swim again, um, we, it was, must've been September cause it was like one of the last warm days of the summer. My mom and I drove down to Cape Cod with her. We went to this really nice beach and I got to swim once before the summer was over. And it was just a really sweet day with her. I have a lot of like really sweet pictures from that day. We wore matching dresses. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I tried to, to, you know, spend as much time with her as I could while also spending as much time with Amos that I could. <laughs> I don't know. But, mm -hmm. and then also prioritizing, trying to prioritize my needs and needing to get rest and needing to take a break. So somehow I held all of those things in a balance and the way I did that was through the support of my husband and my mom. 
because I couldn't have done it without them. Um, and yeah, it was, it was incredibly difficult and it was really, you know, it's, it's heart wrenching to now have a completely different relationship with my daughter. And for her, she was so little, she had never really seen a baby before. She didn't understand. She's, I showed her videos of Amos and things like that, but she didn't get it. She, she was like, well, there was a baby in mommy's belly and now there's not. And he's at the hospital and they have to go visit him. And, you know, I don't even know if she, if she really knew that he was real, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. for a long time, but, you know, I, I did my best to really just try to give her as much as I could give Amos as much as I could. And also just honor that need for myself to take a break to have rest and to just, you know, I tried to like also hold like silver linings of things. So I got to spend a lot of time with Amos alone before he came into our home together. I got to have all these really sweet moments with him, just holding him, bonding with him before I brought him into a home with a toddler who's wild. And then I also got to, you know, have these, have some more time with Stevie before we had the baby, you know, even though we had the baby already, I still got to have Mm -hmm. a little bit of time with her by herself, even though Mm -hmm. I had two kids now, but it still felt like I could have some time with her before we now were officially, you know, a family of four at home. Um, So I really just tried to make the best of it and just accept that it was never going to feel like enough, but that it was enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, for sake of time and because we don't want to skim over parts of part two and all that is to come, we're going to kind of close out uh, part one right here. But we just want to thank you, Allison, for being so vulnerable and for inviting us into those vulnerable moments of your birth story and Amos's first moments. Um, you articulate it so well, and I'm reminded of things of my journey that I'd kind of forgotten about or like little moments. Um, so thank you for inviting us into those. And um, to the NICU mamas listening who um, have preemie babes or have kiddos at home, we hope that you feel really seen and heard throughout this episode. And like Allison said, sometimes it doesn't feel like enough, but you are enough. Um, you will always be enough. And so uh, to all the NICU mamas listening, and here I go, I'm starting to cry. I always do that. Um, Just know that you are loved and seen, and you are more than enough. And so we will be back next week with part two of Allison's story, and uh, we can't wait to be back soon. So we love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.